sometimes you need to sit back and figure out what you like and what you're passionate about. Because I found with myself that I was able to shine and add value when I made sure to take those opportunities that kind of correlated well with my skill set and things that I felt passionate about, and not just a promotion because it was a promotion. Welcome to Lifting Up, Lessons from Verizon Women Leaders. I'm Sally Hubbard. In each episode of this special series, we celebrate a Verizon role model. We hear their success stories and glean wisdom from the ups, downs, and detours of their journey. By amplifying diverse voices, we learn the unique superpowers that each one of us brings to the table. Today, I am here with Beth Sasfai, the VP of Governance and Engagement at Verizon. Congratulations, Beth. You are killing it. Hey, Sally. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. I'd like to first hear what your role is now at Verizon and what it includes. So I head up our governance team at Verizon, and that involves a few different areas. I work with our board of directors, and I'm their lawyer. I sit on the corporate governance and policy committee of the board. I'm their committee liaison back with the management. I work with our executive team on matters of governance. I head up our engagement in connection with our institutional investors on kind of governance and reputational types of issues. My team is also responsible for kind of garden variety securities matters like our 10K filings, our Q filings, our Securities Act filings, disclosure. We support investor relations. So we also have quite a few kind of general legal matters under us, too. Sounds like a big job. It's a varied job. I think if you look at other companies, most of these things are in their own departments and aren't all rolled up in in one group. But we've always had a really varied practice. And most of the lawyers on my team are real generalists. So it appeals to us to kind of keep our finger on a lot of different things. And be able to have a more holistic view, I'm assuming. Absolutely. I feel very connected to the company in my current role, which is probably one of my favorite things about it. Looking back on your career to date, are there any particular highlights that stand out to you or things that you're particularly proud of? I think I am very proud of the women that I have brought into the company. Last year, uh, we had a diversity event, and afterwards, a bunch of women got together in a conference room just to sit and kind of talk. And one of the women to the right of me looked and said, look, you brought four of us here to Verizon. And it was a really powerful moment for me because I felt like I had helped other people kind of see things in a person that maybe wasn't exactly a perfect fit for a job opening they had and kind of help them take a risk. And I love the idea that I've created opportunity for people here. I've also seen a couple of women get promoted recently who I've spent a lot of time and effort working with. And so that also is really gratifying. So one of the things I am most proud of is kind of pushing folks to give others chances when maybe they don't see that uh, from day one. That's great. That's exactly what we need, right? Is women, once they achieve their 
professional success to start bringing along others with them. I commend you. That's great. A lot of women are kind of, you know, very occupied in the struggle mm-hmm. for their own sake that they don't have the uh, time or energy to, <laughs> to get involved with others. So that's wonderful that you've prioritize that? Well, I've been fortunate here in my career at Verizon and frankly, earlier in my legal career that I've always had people who've done that for me. And I've had people who've done it for me in challenging times in my life, like when I was a young mother and I reported to who was our former head of compliance and litigation here, Alexandra Rabay who got me through a really rocky period with three young kids and helped me understand that You can have a sippy cup in your carry-all bag, and you can be online at midnight, and she doesn't care that you had to leave at 3 o'clock to take your kid to a doctor's appointment, and really helped me understand that a lot of those challenges were temporary and that they shouldn't be things that help you make career decisions. They really are getting through the moment and having kind of that support. So that was one person who really, I think, affected the way I think about giving women opportunity. And I would also say my current boss, Bill Horton, who's our corporate secretary here at Verizon, gave me a lot of opportunity. I uh, got my current role when I was actually in litigation, and our board had a number of investigations going on at the time that they were getting readouts of, and I happened to be the one doing the presentations and the readouts to the board. And Bill saw that I developed a great rapport with the directors on the committee that I was reading out to, and he went to the general counsel at the time and suggested that I be moved over and really kind of took a chance on me and spent a lot of time with me in the first year or two of my career in in this role, getting me up to speed. I wasn't a securities lawyer. This wasn't something I'd been doing for 15 or 20 years. I had a lot of transferable skills, which he saw, But there were a lot of things I needed to learn, and so he spent a lot of time with me there. So I I really think I've been really fortunate in how people have worked with me, so it makes you kind of see that that's a great model. And pay it forward. Pay it forward. I want to go back to the point that you made about having the sippy cup in your bag and how it's temporary, because I think that's something that a lot of women don't see when they're in the middle of that very challenging life phase of early parenthood. It feels so all-consuming and it feels like a permanent change when actually it's really a pretty short period of your life where you're dealing with those demands of early childhood. I know I always encourage women to keep a toe into their career, even if it's just maintaining a career path at that point. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on how this is actually a temporary thing and uh, kind of how you woke up to that. I think that at the end of the day, your career is long. And I have always felt that there are times when you really want to kick it into gear. And there are times when you just need to maintain And that's fine. Those are choices. And for me, it was learning that every second of my daily existence does not have to be geared around getting promoted. And sometimes you need to understand what's best for you. And I went through a period where it was best for me to be able to leave at a reasonable hour and not have a huge amount of people reporting to me because I needed to try to balance more things in my life. And that 
can then change, right? And I think women need to be more vocal about what they need and when it's time to change. And I've had a couple women on my teams throughout the years who I've seen really struggle with that, and I've tried to invite the conversation so they can tell me, you know what? I'm ready to have a nervous breakdown right now. I don't want to take on this new role that you're offering me. But then in a year or so or three years, let's have a different conversation. And so I think transparency and inviting the conversation is just part of the normal workplace. It's really something that needs to happen, and some people are much better at it than others. And also from the leader's perspective, to make the employees know that they're it's okay for them to do, to do that, right? It's just part of it. I find that working parents are incredibly efficient. They're able to juggle multiple tasks. I think they're able to work from anywhere. And so, you know, I think we just need to change the expectations. And I'm happy to work with somebody who's home at 8 o'clock at night who's just put their kids to bed. There's no reason often that that call has to happen at five to keep them from picking someone up. And part of it too is educating others. So one of the things that came up maybe a year ago, we were in a meeting and everybody else in the meeting was male, except for one woman who was late. And she came in and she was completely discombobulated. I happen to know she has four children. She has quite a commute. I mean, her hair was like, you know, in disarray. She'd had one of those mornings, right? And I saw the guy to my right was just so annoyed with her and he made a comment. And I stopped and said, what did you do this morning before you came to work? He just kind of sat back and he said, well, well, I worked out and, and I came to work. I said, do you want to know what I did before I came to work? Got up at five, checked my daughter's essay, left comments for her, made dinner, put it in the fridge so that the kids can stick it in. When they gave him the laundry list, right? I dropped off two people. Dedham and said, like, dude, don't judge. Yeah. <laughs> so part of that is just not, you got to get it done and you have to excel but helping people understand that this, you need a realistic model, right? Or nothing will ever change, so. I love that you were an ally there in that situation. Oh, I just, because I knew, I knew the second I saw her, I thought I had been there a zillion times, right? It's also just like inevitably when you have the baby in the conference call and the baby is screaming, always screaming when you have the conference call. I had that happen with an outside counsel who apologized 10 ways to Sunday. This baby screamed for 60 minutes, and she had to do a lot of the talking, so there was no keeping it on mute, right? And I told her, like, I just had to laugh because we have all so been there. And so just let it go. It is what it is, right? It's so important that there was someone in the room that could explain that because I think a lot of times there hasn't been, and there have been the leadership composed mostly of men who have someone taking care of all that stuff for them a lot of the time. Do you think this is something that is going to improve this awareness as more and more women are in the room? I do. I think the more you can help men see also not even just what the women around them are going through, but helping them think about what would they want their daughter to do. One of the things that happened, we were hiring position in my team. And it was a woman that we were going to be hiring. 
And she came back and asked for more money. And I remember thinking and said to the male in HR who was handling the matter, I'm thrilled. And he was kind of annoyed because many had to go back and redo a package and the whole thing, right? And I said, you would want your daughter to do this. Kudos to her. Makes me want to hire her more, and we should all be applauding. So it really is, I think, helping people see, I mean, in your normal life, you expect your daughter to do certain things. You want your wife to be able to do certain things. And I'm no different just because I'm your work colleague, right? These are the same issues that we're all facing, and they should be collective issues. They shouldn't be my issues or your issues. And ideally, this uh, scenario of the frazzled mom who comes in will hopefully start to be more equally distributed amongst the frazzled man (laughs) and the frazzled woman. That's always my hope because we have that whole second shift that really does make killing it in our careers more exhausting or more of a challenge, not stopping us, but it is certainly wearing us down. So there's that whole shift that needs to happen in the responsibilities at home, obviously. That's right. And I think that's a harder one coming. I think that most of my male colleagues don't share when they're leaving to go to the soccer game, even though I know that's what's happening. There's still a kind of a gray area there. You know, did I do I take my paternity leave, things like that. And so, you know, hopefully we as women too can really help men get comfortable that I think it's a great, it's a great day when men are scrubbing their kitchen floor. <laughs> <laughs> I still always always get upset that the TV commercials for cleaning products are still only feature women. I, I remember that when I was a child because I've had a feminist consciousness for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember as a child being upset that there were always women on all the like Mr. Clean commercials. Yes. And many, many years later, yes. it's still the same. It is. So Not a lot yeah. of change there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Could you take us through your career path, kind of how you got to your current position and what were some of the inspiration for the changes? I mean, you did mention before that you were in litigation and you got this opportunity to come to your current role. Could you maybe go back to a couple steps before that? So I had been at Cleary Gottlieb for about seven years. I'd done general corporate work. I had done some employee benefits work. I ended up doing litigation and investigations for the last three or four years of my career. And I loved litigation and I loved the firm and I did not want to leave. I had a moment at one point the final year I was there where I found myself in a shoe store in lower Manhattan to get shoes for my daughter, who was she's my middle child. So she was probably two. She was turning two. And I didn't know what size shoes she wore. And I came home that night. I told my husband I need to leave. So it was kind of the beginning of a journey for me because I loved what I was doing and I loved the people I was doing it with. I cried for a week when I left. I got to tell you, I just, I had so much support there, but it just wasn't workable. The demands of what I was doing, and at that time, I mean, litigation was exploding with these document, you know, retention requests and discovery, and I was in charge of it because I was a senior associate, and so it was all-encompassing, and I didn't really see a way to kind of cut that back, but I really wasn't ready to stop actively practicing, and... 
I had decided I was going to leave. I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't feel a sense of urgency, but it was kind of just making that decision that I'm not going to try to go up for partner. I'm going to look for other things. I got a call like a month later from a recruiter for a position at Verizon that was with Verizon New Jersey, and it was doing arbitrations and hearings before the Public Utility Commission. And the non-selling point of the job is that you didn't have any support. So maybe we could find you a paralegal, but you've got to do all the briefing yourself, all the arguing yourself. I'm thinking, this is fantastic. This is what I want to do. Go in. I'm going to be able to first chair everything, learn the telephone company time, right, from the ground up. And so I interviewed, got the job, came in. I had a really fun and wild two years with the Public Utility Commission, and that was kind of the best thing that could have happened to me because I learned the phone company, and I learned our issues, and I understood what it meant to be a rate-regulated company, and I also understood what it meant to be the only one in the room who had a particular point of view. Typically, these hearings would be all of these, they're called Celex. It was our competitors. So like AT&T and then little phone companies and Verizon on the other side, right? And we're arguing for less regulation and all of these competitors want more regulation, access to our networks, everything. And so I really found my voice. No one ever agreed with me. I was very alone and the commissioners were relatively hostile to us at the time. And it was a huge period of growth for me. And then I got tired. I It was the most all-encompassing job I've ever had in my whole career, sleeping in the office, that kind of thing, because I did not have any support. And we had a lot of initiatives. It was during a period of time when the company really wanted to be deregulated. So there were just dockets upon dockets upon dockets. And just about when I had decided I was getting a little tired, one of my former colleagues from Cleary, who was here at Verizon proper at headquarters, called me and said, we have an opening in the litigation group. Would you be interested? And I knew that would be a little bit of a different practice, right? You're managing outside counsel. You're still very involved, but it's different. You're not going to court. You're not doing oral arguments all the time. But I felt like it was the right thing for me. I interviewed with Alexandra, who was the head of the group, who had the sippy cup in her backpack Mm -hmm. and had to leave early because her son, Edward, who was, I think he was five at the time, had pink eye. And immediately I'm like, this woman I want to work with. And she just, she's just a fabulous, balanced person. And I was reporting to my colleague from Cleary, who was senior to me and who totally got me too, because she knew the, understood the whole background and how I'd been trained. And that started me on a long and very fulfilling career in litigation at Verizon. And I enjoyed my cases. I enjoyed my colleagues. I enjoyed working with outside counsel because I had the confidence from those earlier years of doing so much first chairing, I really felt like it was a much better position to come into. I was able to kind of assert myself. 
and say, no, 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 I don't think these arguments are going to work. I felt like I could really add value with some of these partners that frankly didn't all have as much experience as I did. So that was a great experience for me. The one thing I would say about that part of my career is while I got to know people at the company and issues at the company, I did feel like it was difficult for me to be plugged into the company at kind of the level of strategy and change and management that I would have liked. You're cleaning up the messes. It's like fire on aisle nine, right? That's what you're being called in to do when you're litigating. And so I didn't feel like I had as good of a picture of the entire company as I do now. And so that was one of the reasons I moved over was to be a little more central and also because I love the policy side of things. And this enables me to do both legal and kind of policy work. So so you've already shared some of the lessons that you've learned, but I would like to hear some advice that you would give to younger women just starting out in their career of things that you know now that you wish you would have known when you were starting out? One of the most important things in my career, and I had no idea that it would be the case, is that every time something good happened to me, it was in connection with a lateral move. It was not in connection with a promotion. Promotions followed, but my moves were lateral. And I often had people telling me not to take them. No, 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 no. You need to wait for that promotion. You need to push for that promotion. But sometimes you need to sit back and figure out what you like and what you're passionate about. Because I found with myself that I was able to shine and add value when I made sure to take those opportunities that kind of correlated well with my skill set and things that I felt passionate about and not just a promotion because it was a promotion. And I would say, I think I wasted a lot of time and angst thinking about being promoted. And I, I think you do have to be strategic. I think you do have to make sure you're visible and that you own your accomplishments but I don't think you need to sit around worrying every five minutes about whether or not you're going to be promoted. And the times that I've done that, I have not been. Interesting. It Also, it sounds like your lateral moves helped you develop new skills or further mm-hmm. develop the skills you already had in new ways yeah. that then led to eventual promotion. That's right. Really broadened me out, really challenged me. And I guess that's the other piece of advice that I would give. So when I think about who I go to for counsel, who I think is successful, what I think of as a great lawyer, who I would push for a promotion, it's the people who will take on any task and own it. It is not the person who gives me the five to 10-minute spiel about how this really isn't in their area of business and you need to go talk to Fred because Fred does X and, well, Marie might do Y. It's the person who says, you know what? This is an interesting problem. How can I own this? It's the person that comes in and fills the void. I've done a lot of things in all of my jobs that you would tell me should not have been my job. But I happened to be there, and either the person who maybe ought to have done it was a little bit weak, 
or it was pressing and I had time, or someone asked me to do it. And those things helped me grow. They also helped people think of me. So then people came to me when there were emergencies and problems, and I found that people weren't coming to me just for a limited area of expertise. They were coming to me for counsel. So I think for women and others who are in-house, if you want to be kind of treated as a counselor, then you need to counsel. And that means kind of just giving your judgment to whomever it is that you're working with. Also sounds like being flexible and being willing to take on something that you might not know the answer to. Yeah, I do that all the time. (laughs) I'm very comfortable taking on things that I know nothing about. Part of that is being a litigator. That's what you do, right? You get the case. You've never heard of XYZ. You become an expert on XYZ, and then you sell XYZ. So I'm fine with things I don't know anything about. I'm fine with fluidity. I'm fine with situations I can't control. And that's helpful. I think it's really hard for people who can't say, I don't know. And I see that in colleagues, and I see just tremendous levels of stress generated because of that. But for me, of course you don't know. Why would you know this? You're not expected to know it, but you need to know enough that you can kind of issue spot, right, and run things to ground, and you have a plan of action. But I don't think there's anything to apologize for there. And this latest position, right, I told you, so I came in, I've been in it about six years When Bill brought me into my current role, everyone reporting to me knew much, much, much more about the subject matter than I did. And you're thinking, how am I going to add value? But then you see ways that you can add value. My team would tell you, we are so tight and so close. And they were amazing. Spent so much time with me. But also, being a leader isn't just about subject matter expertise. In fact, a lot of times, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think it's about seeing potential in people and finding good fits for them, helping them be their best selves, giving them challenges, and coming up with a plan for a great and amazing work product and team. So I kind of found my way there too. You've talked a bit about some mentors who have influenced you. Is there any other, are there any other mentors that you'd like to mention or we already covered the main mentors? I think I talked mainly about mentors who we're kind of here, where I am, where I'm working. I think you need a mentor that is not in your current place of business. And it can be a peer. What I found was helpful for me, though, and I realized this, I was in the middle of my litigation career, and I had a very high-profile litigation, and I was working with a client who was really irrational, I guess the best way I'd put it. And it it was extremely stressful period of time for me. And I needed help managing this very senior, irrational person. And I knew I wasn't going to get it internally. And so there was a very senior partner at one of the law firms that I had worked with. And I called him one morning after the client had called me at 6 a.m. to wake me up in hysterics. And I said, can I just come down and talk to you? Because I I don't know how to deal with this situation. This has been going on for a couple of months. I went down, we had coffee, and that became the beginning of kind of a relationship with him, kind of an all-things relationship. He was a counselor. His judgment is impeccable. And if you're willing to make yourself vulnerable to someone like that, 
particularly outside of your workplace, who you can kind of really show the ugly warts to. I found it just helped give me confidence that I needed to, you know, kind of bring that to my current work. And I think you need mentors from a variety of places. And I think mentoring only works also if you're really vulnerable. The more vulnerable I have been, and I was not very vulnerable, right, when I started out in my career, and I am much more vulnerable now, including saying, I just don't get this. I don't learn this way. Help me with X. You get so much more out of the experience. And I have never had somebody look at me and say, well, you're stupid. So by saying you're being more vulnerable, you mean you're being more honest with your situation yeah. or how? Yeah, you your explain? weaknesses. Like, for example, I'll give you one. I am not great at reading graphs. That might be a fine thing for most people. But when I'm looking at our earnings materials or our investor relations materials, I need that graph, that chart to tell me a story. It does not. It does not say anything to me. It could be anything on the page, right? For the first couple of years, it was killing me. And finally, I'm like, Bill, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I could look at this for five days and I don't get it. Like, I need help figuring out a narrative. Like, and I really need you to help me figure out why I don't get it. I'm a smart person, but the graph means nothing. Like, that for me, whole different world. Okay, now I now I know what I'm looking for, where the pressure points are, how I can even recreate the graph. Sally, it's really impressive. <laughs> wow. I also don't know how to use graphs, so maybe I need to get some um, training from you. But, but things like that, right? We all have those couple of things where you're just like, oh God, I hope no one asked me this because I really, you got to find someone you can say that to and figure out how to deal with it. And so since I've gotten to that point in my career, I'm much happier admitting what you don't know. Yeah. And so you just mentioned that since you got to that point in your career, is that something that you think takes a bit of seniority to be able to do, or do you think you can do it, could have done it earlier in your career? I don't think a law firm environment really lends itself to being vulnerable and saying you don't know. So no, I, I'm just trying, I'm picturing as we're talking various partners that I worked with and imagining having these conversations. And I don't think it would have gone over well. No. I think, frankly, having a track record and earning some credibility and having some successes so that people see, well, you can do certain things and you've got certain aptitude. Yeah, I do think it helps. I also just think age, maturity. And also the confidence. I mean, you've talked a lot about how some of the challenges that you took on helped you build confidence. Right. So then you have that confidence to ask those questions and be vulnerable. Right. That's right. And also, you know what? I will say that one thing I've learned from, because pretty much I work with everyone is senior to me. Everybody that I'm working with right now is senior to me. So that's a whole different dynamic there too about being vulnerable. But you realize they're people too. And they have their own issues. And you often become people's right hands who really want you to be their sounding board and who want to tell you their weaknesses and have you kind of help them, whether it's wordsmithing or practicing for a speech or whatever it is. So I think that also gave me confidence, having more senior people open up who you would identify as very successful, but saying, like, I hate speaking in front of people. Can you help me run through some bullets kind of thing? So. 
Another question that we've been asking everyone on this podcast is what has the Verizon credo meant to you? That's a good question because it has really impacted me directly. So when Hans was elected CEO, he had a lot of ideas coming in. And a lot of those ideas had to do with the board. So that kind of came into my purview and Bill's purview. And for me, it was very liberating. It was also very validating. So what do I mean by that? So liberating, uh, Hans entertains questions, changes. Why have we always done it this way? Why don't we think about X, Y, Z? So for me, I'm a creative person and I love change. And so I felt just very empowered to make change. When I say validating, I have spent the last five or six years really trying to get the company to be more transparent in our disclosures and in the kinds of things I can say to our investors. I have tried to get the company to be more articulate about our responsible business efforts. And I will tell you, having a leader come in and say, hey, we have to do this, it's fantastic. You really need a leader to do it. And then everyone hops in line, and that's what's happened. And it's great. It's great for us. It's great for me. I'm I'm just so satisfied because I feel like it's someone who's kind of thinking about things in the right way and willing to take a stance. We're coming to the end of our time. Mm -hmm. Are there any things that you'd like to share or talk about that you haven't yet had the opportunity to do so? The one thing I would share is that I think it's very worthwhile to spend time to know yourself and to really understand what you want. I think we all think we know what we want really thinking about who are you and where you want to be. I'm glad that there are certain things that didn't happen for me. And I think it's just so important to know yourself. Well, on that note, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so enlightening, very inspiring too. Thank you, Sally, for having me. Thanks for listening to Lifting Up, Lessons from Verizon Women Leaders. Tune in next time for another inspiring story of women leaders forging their paths to success and sharing the lessons they've learned along the way.